con la ayuda de Silvano, a quien considero un hermano fiel, les he escrito brevemente para animarlos y confirmarles que esta es la verdadera gracia de Dios. Manténganse firme en ella. Saludos de parte de la que está en Babilonia, escogida como ustedes, y también de mi hijo Marcos. Salúdense los unos a los otros con un beso de amor fraternal. Paz a todos ustedes que están en Cristo. series called Exiles, where we have been working through uh, these letters of 1st and 2nd Peter, just to see how incredibly relevant they are in our lives, in our community, our church, and our culture today. And, and, and today, this morning, we are wrapping up our study on 1st Peter, the first of these two letters. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, uh, turn there with me, 1st Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking uh, some at what Norma read for us, but we're actually going to be going up a few verses and picking up where we left off last week, uh, starting in, in, in verse five, chapter five, verse five of first Peter. Uh, like many of you, our family's heading out on vacation here soon. And, uh, and we got about a day's worth of driving to, to get to our destination. Uh, it's not one that was you know, really feasible to fly to. And so we're going to bite the bullet and, and drive. And one of the questions that Amber, my, my wife and I have been having is what are we going to do to pass the time during the road trip? And it's not so much about like for us, like how are we going to pass the time? Uh, we're thinking about the two little girls that'll be in the back seat, going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, how are we going to help them pass the time while we go from here to there, our destination? And when, when we were kids, like that was a lot easier. You didn't have all of the options that we have now. It was basically um, look out your window and see if you can find all these cool states and, and their license plate on the back of the car and then keep a track of which ones you find. Like that was a favorite game for my brother and I. Uh, or look at the billboards and see if you can, you know, make the alphabet by finding words that start with that. That, that was about the extent of our options right there. That was it. Uh, but for our girls, I mean, it's just kind of limitless. And so we've looked at, uh, you know, we've downloaded some podcasts that we're going to listen to. Uh, we have some books and some games that are ready. And those are some of our favorites. And so we'll play, we'll play those. I'm sure that we'll play the question game that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. I have no doubt that we'll play that one. And then we have some, some movies that are loaded up on, uh, on devices. And, and all of this is to prepare us, right? All of this is so that we know what to do between here and there. And in a lot of ways, that's what our passage is about today. Uh, as exiles who are living in this world, who have been commissioned by Jesus to reach people with the good news of the gospel, the hope that, man, we live in this world that is broken, that is fallen, that is filled with sin, but there is one who loves us enough that he redeems us and restores us. We, as we live in this place where this is our message, as, as we are working to bring God's kingdom just a little bit closer to earth, as we live right here, right now, where we are, how do we live in between here and where we are going, our eternal destination? And I think that Peter gives us some really good advice on what to do between here and there. And it starts in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, the second half of verse 5. 
He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up, what? In due time. Hang on to that phrase, in due time. Now, clearly, the point of this passage that Peter is trying to get across to us is is to be humble, to show humility. And humility is the opposite of pride. In fact, Peter even puts these two at odds with each other there in in verse 5. And you think about that word pride, for, for a little bit. What, what is the letter right there in the middle of pride? P-R-I-D-E. I. I is in the middle, not just of the word pride, but even in the action and the expression of pride. Pride is all about I. It's all about me. And so pride places my needs, my expectations, my wants, my preferences, Pride puts I in the middle of every situation in every circumstance. It is the lens through which we look at our world. Prideful people see everything through how it affects them. It, 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 it only trusts in self. It looks after its own interest instead of anyone else, even God. That's pride. But then you have humility. And this is what scripture calls us to, what, what Peter encourages us to find, be humble, humble yourselves. And humility looks after others. Humility puts the needs of others first. Humility is willing to lay aside one's preferences for the good of another. And listen, I realize that I is in the middle of the word humility too, (laughs) It kind of defeats my argument a little bit, but I does not, you know, humility, the humble person does not put themselves in the middle of every situation and every circumstance. Instead, humility puts the great I am in the middle of it. Humble people submit and surrender to the Lord. They put themselves under him. And Peter Peter was not always the most humble of, of people. And Peter had been humbled by God and, and he tells us, sell, uh, us to, to now kind of learn from him and, and instead of being humbled, to humble ourselves, to have the action and the attitude of a humble person and put ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you read about God's mighty hand, it's an allusion to God's care and protection. Every time you read putting underneath a hand, it is putting yourself under the care and the protection of another. And so Peter is telling us to humble ourselves and put, us, put ourselves underneath the care and the protection of the Father. And he's been making this case all throughout this letter about why we can have confidence to trust God, why we can have this, this confidence and security to, no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, no matter what you know, temptations that we have in front of us or expectations that we have of ourselves or others have of us. He's been making this argument that we can trust God in the midst of all of those things and that we can surrender and we can put ourselves under him. We, we, we don't have to hold on to it on our own. We don't have to strive or work or spend all of this energy. We can surrender it to the Lord and trust in, in him. And he, so he makes this case all throughout this letter of why we can trust him. And then now he's telling us, humble yourselves and put yourselves underneath God's care and protection in your life. And the assurance 
that he gives us at the end of verse six is that in due time, God will lift you up. That after uh, these moments here on earth, as we we humble ourselves under God's care and protection, in due time, God will lift us up. And I think what he's pointing to here is ultimately eternity. Peter is pointing us to the day when Jesus will return. He will call home all who have surrendered their lives and their wills to him. All who humbled themselves under God's mighty hand and received his salvation. A time when God will will restore and renew and redeem all things that sin has broken. When he will right every wrong, when he will wipe away every tear and 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 we don't know when that time is going to be. Peter just tells us it is in due time. It is sometime in the future when God has deemed it to be the right time. And so we have this assurance that God will lift us up in due time when we humble ourselves under him. And so the question for us is, what do we do in the meantime? How do we live in the waiting between the here and the due time and the the then? What do we do with our anxieties and our frustrations, with our fears, with our pain? How do we respond when we just feel like giving up in life and throwing in the towel? I think think that's what Peter gets to next. And truth be told, we... I could probably spend the entire morning just breaking down this one verse, but this is what he says, verse seven, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We we don't typically do this, but but can we just read that verse together out loud? Read this verse with me, ready? Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is such an incredibly powerful verse. But I want you to notice here that Peter the shepherd, and that's how he describes himself at the beginning of chapter five. Peter the shepherd reaches back into his past and puts on his fisherman's hat again. He becomes Peter the fisherman. Before Peter started following Jesus, he was a fisherman who probably had a whole lot of experience of casting things into the water, casting nets into the water. And I imagine that as Peter is writing these words and he's trying to express his desire for us about what to do with all of these cares and all of these anxieties and all of these concerns that just want to weigh us down, I think he's pulling back this mental image of casting a net into the water. And as he's doing it, I just imagine Peter, who is much older in life right now, has a whole lot of more experience. And it's probably been a long time since he's been in that boat as a fisherman. I imagine he, he just has all of these muscle and nerve memories that start firing again. And he probably feels the weight of the net in his hand. He probably feels its scratchiness, its roughness. He, he probably can still feel the, the water in the net from its previous throw. I, I imagine Peter, as he writes these words, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, can feel his fingers release as he takes what he was holding onto and throws it down into the water. I'm sure he can probably hear once again the sound that the two make as they come crashing together. 
And this is the image from his past that Peter uses to describe how we should handle and what we should do with our anxieties and our cares that want to consume us as we walk through this world. Peter tells us to take them, those things that we're holding on to, and cast them. Not not cast them into this like deep abyss, never knowing what's going to happen from them there. Cast them on the Lord. Because he cares for you. And notice here, that there's no qualifiers in this verse. Peter says, cast all your anxieties upon him. I have this tendency, maybe you, maybe you do too. I have this tendency to categorize my anxieties, my worries, my fears, my cares, I put them into, I put them into to categories and there's part of it that's actually kind of healthy because it helps you give proper weight to those things that, that maybe kind of weigh you down. But, but what I do is I look at those really big ones, those big cares, those big concerns, those things that are just really in the future or really pressing right now. And I, and I find that I have an easier time if I'm living out this verse I have an easier time taking those things and casting them on the Lord because they just seem like they're a little bit more important. But then I look at that other category and they're smaller things. They're things that I look at and I think, man, I should, I should be able to handle this on my own by now. Or, or I should be able to you know, put enough thought or energy or effort towards this to where you know, I, can, I can take this one and I can, I can kind of do it on my own. And so I just hang on to it and I, I find myself... Hanging, hanging on to those things that I've just kind of deemed are smaller, lesser, not quite as important, things that I don't want to bother God with. But you notice Peter doesn't make this distinction. And Peter tells us to throw all of our anxieties on the Lord, big and small, because he cares for us. He doesn't qualify the anxieties that we should give the Lord because God doesn't qualify the anxieties that we should give him. He wants all of them and he wants them because he knows that we cannot handle them on our own. It's it's not how we were created. And I think that part of the humility that Peter is talking about here in this passage is, is the willingness to say, God, here they are, all of them. They are yours, big and small. Because truly, there's nothing I can do on my own apart from you. And so he invites us to humble ourselves and give them over to the Father. But how do we do do that? I think the Apostle Paul uh, has some good words for us. Verse that maybe you're familiar with. If you're you're new to church, if you're new to scripture, the Bible trying to figure out, you know, is is any of this practical? Does this mean anything? Here's a verse that I just encourage you to commit to memory and see what the Lord does with it and through it in your life. And Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Peter, Paul says, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it sounds, I know, it sounds so cliche uh, to, to say, but over and over and over in scripture, 
when it comes to our worries, when it comes to the things in life that are just pushing against us and weighing us down, scripture invites us to pray about those things. Those circumstances that cause our hearts to be troubled. And, and, I, and I think that what it invites us to is not just to pray this general prayer, God, I'm feeling anxious today, help me. I, I think that, that in the words that Paul uses in Philippians 4, and when, even when Peter says, cast all your anxieties, I think that in other places, it, Scripture invites us to be specific about our cares, about our concerns. So not, not just generalize them, but to be specific. In fact, there's a little exercise that I do from time to time. It's been incredibly helpful for me. It might, might be for you. When I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling worried, when I feel like things are just kind of weighing on me, when, when I'm able to kind of separate myself from the feeling of that, a practice that I found really helpful is just getting my phone out, opening up a new note. If I have a piece of paper next to me, grabbing that, pulling it over. And I just start writing those things down, trying to get as specific as I possibly can. Write down what is causing me to, to feel that way. Not just think about it up here, but to actually write it down. Write down the people <laughs> Write down the problem that I'm facing, the situation that I find myself in. And the reason why I find it to be so beneficial to write it down is because then here's what you can do. Your anxiety list becomes your prayer list. Your anxiety list becomes your prayer list. And as I pray over those things that I wrote down, I imagine myself picking them up off of the page or up out of the note and casting them onto the Lord. One by one, as I pray through them, it's like I am picking them up and throwing them on the Lord, going, God, this is your burden now. And, and I wish I could say that when I leave those times, oh, it's like the weight of the world has come off. And there are times where I still feel that. You, you will too, we all will. But I think there's just something powerful about that mental exercise that helps us take what we're feeling in here and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I'm throwing them on you. It's interesting the, the, this word that English writers have translated cast in our, in our past, in our scriptures, it's only used one other time. The, the Greek word is only used one other time in the entire New Testament. And, and it's used when Jesus is um, making his way, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The couple of disciples, they go and they get the donkey that Jesus is going to ride into. And it says, when they all get together, they threw their cloaks on the donkey or they threw them down. This, this image of throwing something onto another, throwing it so that another carries the burden. This is the word that Peter uses. And there are times when I feel guilty about throwing these anxieties on the Lord. And I think, oh God, you have so many other things to deal with than my little problems. You ever think that? Or God, I should be able to handle this on my own by now. Why am I still struggling with this? But then I remember Peter doesn't qualify the anxieties to cast on him. He says all. And so I just kind of think, well, God, if you didn't want all of them, then you should have been more clear because I'm going to give all of them to you. And he takes them because he cares for me and he cares for you. Here's the thing. We have this enemy, 
that, uh, that wants to deceive us, that, that wants to make us think that we can do it on our own or that God doesn't really care about us or that he can't be trusted with that care, with that concern that we want to give to him. Maybe even makes us want to think that we can fix them on our own. And Peter warns us against this, this enemy in verse eight. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so as we live here and now, in the, as we live in the meantime, Peter says, be alert, be aware, be watchful. And the reason he gives us these warnings is because the enemy, the devil, is looking for someone to devour. Peter says, as, as believers, as followers of Jesus living in this world, we have a very real predator that is seeking to destroy you, and it's the devil. And, and man, I imagine that there are some 21st century ears that, that hear that or that eyes that read that, and they're like, ah, oh, that just sounds so superstitious, <laughs> We've grown past this idea and this concept of the devil. It sounds medieval. People might think, you know, we're in the 21st century now, Peter. We've learned some things about how the universe works. We're kind of beyond this stuff. And Peter wants to remind us, like, no, we're not. In fact, fact, if if, if we think that we are, then that's probably exactly where Satan wants us to, to be. The truth is, is that we have a very real and present enemy that is out to steal and kill and destroy the life that Jesus wants to bring us. We talked about that a little bit last week. He wants to steal and kill and destroy our relationship with God, our relationship with others. That is our enemy's goal in our life. And most of us, myself included, we, we don't take Peter's warning very seriously in our everyday lives. You may have heard the, the news uh, Back in May in Houston, Texas, there was a nine-month-old Bengal tiger that got loose and just kind of roamed throughout the, the neighborhoods. In fact, I, I met a young lady this morning who is from Houston. I asked her, was it, was it close? And the, what, the gist of her answer was it was close enough. <laughs> it was close enough that it, that it kind of influenced what we did. And, and, uh, and so as you can, can imagine, I mean, it's, it's a little jarring to like look out your window and see, oh, that is a tiger. There was a guy interview that I, I read. A guy said that he was eating his breakfast one morning and he looked out his window and he's like, that looked like a tiger. Certainly I'm not seeing this correctly. And then the tiger made eye contact with him. He's like, that's a tiger. <laughs> what in the world? And so you can imagine, I mean, people took this threat seriously. It's a 175 pound tiger on the loose. Nobody knows where it is. And so they were staying in their homes. They were, you know, keeping their pets and their kids inside. And they took the threat of this tiger on the loose seriously until he was eventually caught and placed in a, in a big cat rescue. And Peter says that our, our enemy, the devil is prowling around in our lives and we need to take him seriously because he's looking for someone to devour looking for people, looking for marriages, looking for families, looking for churches to devour. And he hides incredibly well. Typically we don't look out and it's like, oh, there he is. He hides in so many ways to deceive us. 
And if we're honest, most of us walk through life oblivious to the spiritual warfare that is happening all around us, or, or, or we treat temptation as something to kind of flirt with. <laughs> we get as close to it as we possibly can. So this is off the cuff. I may regret this a little bit, but uh, we <laughs> started watching uh, America's Got Talent uh, over the last couple of days. And one of the, uh, one of the acts, uh, they sang, let's be sensual, not sexual. It's like, how close can we get to the line of having an affair without actually having an affair? That's how, that's how a lot of us treat temptation. We get as close to it as we possibly can. And we miss the danger that's all around us. Listen, the devil is a roaring lion, not a playful pet. And Peter points to, the, to, to, to Satan as one that we need to be aware of in our life, to be watchful, to stand firm against. And he puts his shepherd hat back on and he warns us about the enemy that is out to devour us. And then he, and then he says in verse nine, resist him, resist him. And constantly we are told to flee from temptation, but resist the devil standing firm in the faith. And then he says something interesting because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And so Peter tells us to resist the devil, to stand firm in our faith. And then he points to our brothers and sisters across the world who are going through the same temptations, the same struggles that we are. And why does he do that? I think it's because he knows that isolation is one of the tools that Satan uses to drive a wedge between us and between God. Isolation makes us vulnerable. And when we think that we are the only ones who are dealing with this situation or this struggle or this temptation, if Satan makes us believe that no one else understands or that everyone else is going to judge us, that no one would love you if they really knew you when he's able to isolate us and makes us feel alone, then he's got us exactly where he wants us. And Peter reminds us that we are not alone. The family of believers all over the world and right here in our church are going through the same struggles. We don't have to walk through them alone. It's why we have life groups. It's why we have serve teams. It's why these things are so important. We can stay pretty isolated if all we do is gather here on Sunday mornings for worship gatherings. But when we connect relationally through groups, when we serve shoulder to shoulder with people in our church and our community, we realize we are not as alone as Satan wants to make us feel like we are. We're not the only ones fighting this or going through this or dealing with this loss or this pain or trying to figure out how to make it through this life. And when we realize that we are not alone, we actually give each other strength to stand stronger in the faith. And as we put our anxieties on God, as we stand firm in the faith against our enemy, the assurance that we have is this in verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, remember, in due time, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And Peter calls the devil 
a lion, but the truth is, is that he is a lion on a leash. He is not all powerful. He is not victorious, but Jesus is Jesus. The lion of Judah is. And so greater is the lion in you than the lion in this world. And Jesus is all powerful. He is victorious over sin and death. And one of the ways that we resist the devil is by resting in Jesus by casting all of our anxieties and all of our cares onto the Father who loves us. And as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, as we submit ourselves to his care and his protection by grace, God promises not to leave you as orphans, not to leave you on your own, but to restore you. He promises to give you his care and his protection, to make you strong, to make you firm, to make you steadfast to strengthen and support you, to make you steady and to give you power through the Holy Spirit and to give you a firm foundation on which you can stand when life feels like it's shaking underneath you. Do you have that assurance today? Do you know Jesus? Have you invited him into not just your life, not just into your heart, not just into your mind, but have you invited him into your circumstances? As we close today, I wanna to give us just a few moments to silently pray and to take that thing, that, that temptation, that care, that concern, and just throw it on him before we worship and we close. Let's take a few moments to silently pray this morning. thank you that you are a God of all comfort and grace, that you're a God who comes to our rescue when we are in pain, when we are hurting, when we are in need. Lord, thank you that you invite us to cast all of our anxieties on you because you care for us. Lord, may we stand firm when Satan wants to attack us, tempt us, make us feel like we have the power and the strength to do it on our own. God, would you be our defense? Thank you, Lord, for making us strong, not on our own, but when we trust and when we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.